This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. In this episode, we learn about the ships that carry bulk goods, that is, commodities, around the world. When you're drinking your coffee or tea in the morning, do you think about where the sugar came from or the coffee itself? Probably not very often. But if you did, you might start thinking about the countries they come from and the ships that bring them to you, the efficiency of the services these ships provide, and the prices they charge to carry these goods across the world matter to each of us. And the more they matter, that is, the higher our demand for goods from far away, the bigger the impact on their prices and services. In 2021, we're seeing congestion and we're seeing blockage in ports, uncertainty in delivery times, and an upsurge in dry bulk shipping prices. What does this mean for international commerce? And how will policy surrounding infrastructure investments interact with shipping markets? Let's find out how. Good morning and welcome. I am Rumin Islam, host of Tell Me How. And today I have as my guest, Myrto Kalipsidi, Professor of Economics at Harvard University, specializing in industrial organization and international trade. She has been researching the impact of transportation costs and shipping on commerce and welfare. Welcome, Myrto. It's nice to have you with us. It's great to be here. So, Myrta, perhaps we could start with having you tell us why economic research on transportation, and in particular, shipping markets and costs, are important in any study of international trade and development. So, first of all, all of trade is executed by transport markets. So, by construction, transport markets and shipping are vital for economic activity and trade. And we actually saw this recently, given the delays in trade that cost us billions, caused by both the blockage of the Suez Canal by the megaship Ever Given, as well as the shortages in transport supply generated um, in the later phase of the COVID pandemic. And all of this reminded the world, I think, of the vital role of this sector, which is sometimes invisible. It's not a sector we interact with in our daily lives. Yet shipping costs are, are important. At this point, they are actually larger than tariffs, which have generated a lot of interest across economists. And in fact, according to our research, if we change shipping costs by 1%, we're going to get about a 1% decline in trade, which is very substantial. That's substantial, yes. So our whole research is about how transport markets interact with international trade. And we essentially find that there are two channels through which transport markets affect trade. They relocate production and they tend to dampen the impact of macro shocks on the economy. Okay, we're going to go through some of these effects later, but could you just briefly explain what you mean by these two effects? Sure. So roughly, transport costs matter. And just by virtue of the fact that they matter, they will end up relocating production. Now, they do this in specific ways that we can discuss later on once I explain the mechanisms a little better. And then second, we find that when shocks hit the economy, they are actually dampened through the transport sector. So what happens is the shock hits and it affects also the shipping costs that exporters have to pay. And this turns out to mitigate the initial effect of the shock. And all of this happens through the network of interconnected countries, and we can come back to that. 
Okay, that, that's very interesting. We will certainly come back to that. You've done research on ships that carry bulk goods, such as grain, mineral ore, coal, and you refer to them as taxis of the sea. I found that a very interesting expression. Why do you refer to them that way and how are they different from other ships? And I'm actually particularly interested in hearing about how the market for their services functions. There is roughly two types of transport markets. So one of them is point-to-point. The other one operates on itineraries. So in the point-to-point segment, we have the bulk ships, which is the segment that we study. Uh, We also have oil tankers, LNGs that carry natural gas, but also trucking. All of these are point-to-point. You have a carrier and a customer. They meet, and the carrier takes the customer from their origin to their desired destination. And then at the destination, they will go on to meet somebody else. So carriers are essentially constantly searching for a cargo. They carry one customer at a time and they restart. It's very much like a taxi cab. In contrast, in the other category, we have container shipping, airplanes, and trains. And all of these have specific itineraries. They are much more like buses. They have a schedule. They keep the schedule regardless of demand in the short run. And essentially, different customers can place a cargo. So these carriers will accumulate cargo from many, many customers, some very small. It can be somebody moving from uh, the U.S. back to Europe or uh, some of them very big. So Walmart will put hundreds of boxes on a given container ship. So it may sound surprising at first why they operate so differently. And the main answer is economies of scale. So the idea is that for container shipping, in order to succeed, a particular firm needs to have many ships so they can actually be able to sustain an entire network of different origins and destinations. In contrast, when it comes to trucking or shipping or bulk shipping, you can have one operator who can still survive in the market by essentially doing individual trips, much like a taxi driver. That's really different. Yeah. Indeed. And I didn't actually know that one could think about these two types of shipping services so differently. And I assume that has lots of implications for how these goods markets work. And definitely, I hadn't thought about these similarities with other transport services. But to understand how this particular shipping market works, the one for bulk goods, you needed to collect a lot of data for your research. What were you looking for and where did you get it? Right. So that's an exciting feature of our research. So we have uh, what is called AIS data. This means that essentially we observe 5,000 ships, which is about half the world fleet, every six minutes or so. This is from satellites. This is from terrestrial antennas and satellites uh, that provide the exact location of these ships every few minutes. And what's also pretty interesting is that they also report essentially how deeply submerged its ship is at every point in time, which basically tells us whether a ship is loaded or not at any point in time. So we can understand how these carriers search for cargoes. This is really interesting because without this advance in technology, you wouldn't have been able to do this research. That's right. That's right. Okay. We also collect information on shipping contracts that give us um, shipping prices for specific trips. And we also collect other data such as weather along the oceans, fuel prices, and other aggregate variables. Very good. What do the data reveal at first glance? The first interesting finding 
that the data reveal is that there are large trade imbalances. So most countries are either big net importers or big net exporters, always in the types of goods that we are focusing on, so raw materials. To give you some examples, China and India are the world's biggest net importers, while Australia and North and South America are the world's biggest exporters. Now, the backdrop story during our sample is that this is a time period when China is growing dramatically. Uh, it imports a lot and it imports mostly these types of goods because it needs to build cities, factories, infrastructure. And the countries that are rich in these types of goods, Australia, Brazil, Northwest America, export these types of goods to China. Now, these natural imbalances have uh, important consequences. So to give you one example... If we went out in the ocean and looked at all the ships that are sailing, we would see that 42% of them are actually sailing empty. Oh my um, God, 42%. That's a it high It sounds number. very high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and to a good degree, this is just a consequence of these differences in natural inheritance across different countries, but it is surprisingly high. Now, last, this is reflected in prices, uh, which are largely asymmetric. So let me give you an example. If you want to send a cargo from China to Australia, you have to pay around $7,000 a day, while the reverse trip from Australia to China costs around $10,000 a day. And the idea here is fairly simple. When a ship owner has to take a cargo to Australia, he's happy because Australia is a good destination. He knows that when he reaches Australia, he's very likely to find another cargo there since Australia exports so much. In contrast, if he has to go to China, he knows that afterwards he will have to wait there or maybe travel empty back to Indonesia or even back to Australia. And so he commands a higher price to go to China in the first place. He asked for a premium, essentially. Well, that's, you know, a little bit anti-intuitive because we think of China as being a big exporter. Good point. Right? So remember, <laughs> that's right. We are talking, but we are focusing on raw materials. Now, if we were looking at container right. shipping rates... That's right. It's um, the opposite. It would be exactly the opposite. And it would be virtually free to ship from uh, the U.S. to China, but very expensive to ship from China to the U.S. Okay. So you mentioned that shipping costs may lead to a reallocation of exports and imports. Could you expand on this? And do you find evidence for this? Sure. So let me use an example. Let me focus on India. Again, India is one of the biggest net importers of the world, which means that essentially a bunch of ships are going to take cargo there. And then since India is a net importer, they will end up waiting or having to leave empty. What this means is that essentially at the shores of India, there is a cheap supply of ships that end up there because of the imports. And this cheap supply of ships means it's cheaper for Indian exporters to export. So that essentially Indian imports subsidize Indian exports. Sorry, but these would be exports of what then? Same bulk goods? Correct. Still, it's always raw materials. Okay. So, so there is a sort of complementarity between imports and exports. But in some sense... Indian exporters are going to over-export because ships are cheap. And in that sense, the transport sector reallocates production to India. You have Indian exporters that wouldn't export if shipping wasn't as cheap. And 
This may sound funny at first, uh, but there is a well-known example from container shipping that has received a lot of press that has to do with China and the U.S. The idea here is that container ships go full from China to the U.S., but empty from the U.S. to China. Recall, we have the reverse imbalance when it comes to manufactured goods. And so essentially, we saw that the U.S. started exporting basically trash to China, so scrap metal, hay, and other sorts of very low-value goods. And they did so because it was virtually free to ship a container to China. So the allocation happens because these exports wouldn't be happening if the price was the same to ship from the U.S. to China as the reverse. So anything that changes those relative prices will change who ships what to where. Exactly. So that's how important the shipping costs are. And is that right? So they they could just completely change the pattern of trade. Now, there are other costs to shipping, such as fuel. Could you speak about how fuel costs might affect shipping profits and prices? And I ask this because of, you know, there's so much fuel price uh, changes and maybe even volatility uh, that we see recently. So does a decrease in fuel costs lower shipping costs proportionately or are there factors mitigating this decrease? Certainly lower fuel prices reduce shipping costs. But actually, the economics here is a bit more complex than that. So let's consider a decline in fuel costs. This instantly represents a decline in a ship's operating costs. And this means that instantly it will also translate to a decline in shipping prices, which will then lead to a rise in exports. So that's the sort of direct mechanism through which a change in fuel cost is going to operate. However, there is a less straightforward effect that is mitigated through the transport sector. So let's take an example. Let's consider India again as a net importer. And let's consider a ship that just unloaded in India and it's sitting at the shore. And all of a sudden, fuel costs go down. What's going to happen is that essentially the ship is now facing a lower cost of ballasting away from India. It is less tied to its current destination, which in some sense increases its bargaining position once it meets a customer in India. This will lead to higher prices and thus a reduction in Indian exports. You know, this is very, this is not something you would think of intuitively, because when you think of fuel costs falling, you think, oh, costs fall is good for everybody. And now, you know, you see that actually it really depends on how the market works for transportation. That's exactly right. And that's the dampening effect. You have this idea that fuel costs go down, shipping costs go down, trade goes up, but this is dampened by the reaction of the transportation sector where ships are made better off because of this decline in fuel costs. So if they then leave that country, wherever they were, because they now find it economically more profitable to do so, then exports from that country would presumably be lower. Well, they will ask for higher prices to stay there, which further reduces exports from such regions, and in turn increases exports from the regions where ships would ballast to anyway. Um, so net exporters. So the idea is, in some sense, when fuel costs go down, the world becomes flatter. Uh, distance matters less. And so essentially, in some sense, the shipping sector matters less, transport costs matter less, and comparative advantages are, are pronounced. Trade is driven to a greater extent by comparative advantages. Murto, 
Could we go on to talk about global macro shocks? Could you explain how these shocks may affect the pattern and costs of shipping and therefore trade flows? Sure. So let's consider an example of a slowdown in China. So the example that we simulate is a 10% decline in Chinese imports. So recall, we're talking about bulk commodities where China is a big net importer and a slowdown would essentially reduce these imports. So let me tell you how this shock would propagate through the world in three steps. I'm going to start by what happens to China itself, directly affected by the shock, and then what happens to China's neighbors, and then what happens to the rest of the world. So let me start with China itself. So once Chinese imports fall, Chinese exports are also going to fall. Remember that there is this complementarity between imports and exports. As China was importing a lot, ships were arriving in China and then lingering there waiting to find new cargo. This made supply of ships cheap, which made uh, exports cheaper and increased them. So once Chinese imports shrink, so do Chinese exports. Let me move now to China's neighbors. This is a pocket of the world that includes countries like Australia, Indonesia, India, Japan, South Korea. Now, first of all, there is going to be a direct effect. When China shrinks, the exports of these countries are also going to fall because to a good degree, they export directly to China. So think about Australia. As we mentioned a few times, Australia exports a lot to China. China shrinks. Of course, Australian exports are going to fall. And of course, uh, China is a good example because it's a, it's a large country and a large market. I just wanted to, to mention that. That's exactly right. China accounts for a large fraction of trade flows and studying China makes it easy for us to see some of these effects. Now, within this group of countries, even countries that are net importers like India, you know, whatever they export, they export to China. So exports in all of these countries are going to go down. And that's the direct effect of the Chinese slowdown. However, there is a second, less straightforward effect that comes through the transport sector. Okay? So this pocket of the world, on a net, is fairly balanced. You have the big importers, China, India, the big exporters, Australia, Indonesia. And ships are happy to stay in this pocket of the world because they can do short ballast trips, so empty legs, backhauls, and then go back and forth between big importers and exporters. However, once the biggest player of this group, China, shrinks, ships are going to relocate away from this region of the world. There isn't as much demand for them anymore. So these countries lose not just because of the direct effect, but also because of the reduction in ship supply in the region. Finally, let me come to the third step, which is China's distant countries, the rest of the world. And take Brazil as an example. Brazil exports a lot to China, as we've said many times. So, of course, again, there is a direct effect that when China shrinks, Brazilian exports are going to decline. However, these countries are going to now benefit from the ship reallocation. So the ships that left from the pocket of Australia, Indonesia, China, and so on, will relocate. And where will they go? Most likely to places like Brazil or Northwest America. And so this will mean that when more ships flow to these countries, this will bring shipping prices down. And in fact, we find that these effects are substantial. So if we look at Brazilian exports, we find that the decline in Brazilian exports is about 25% lower. 
when it's taken into account. When the when transport that market is, is taken yeah. into account. So in response to a 10% decline in Chinese imports, the decline in Brazilian exports is 25% lower. Than you might expect, yeah. Now, you also looked at how climate change may affect shipping because climate change may affect the routes that, that ships can take. And I know that you have an estimate of what the economic effects would be if Arctic ice melted so as to open certain passages. Do you want to speak about that a bit? So the Northwest Passage is the sea route between the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans through the Arctic Ocean. So we run an experiment where we study what would happen if the ice melts and the Northwest Passage is opened up. So this would mean, in practice, a reduction in the travel distance between the Northeast America and the Far East, as well as Northern Europe and the Far East. So let me start explaining what would happen by looking first at the countries that are actually directly affected by the opening of the passage, and then at the countries that are not directly affected by the opening of the passage. So perhaps not surprisingly, Northeast America and Northern Europe would see their exports increase. And I say not surprisingly because all of a sudden these regions are brought closer to some of their biggest customers like Japan, uh, South Korea, and China. Now, what about uh, the Japan, South Korea, and China, who, which are also directly affected by the opening of the Northwest Passage? We actually find that here, these countries are only marginally affected. What's the reason for that? So take a ship off the shore of Japan, for example. Again, Japan is a big net importer, so a ship that just unloaded there is looking for options to travel somewhere else. And all of a sudden, there is a new option in its portfolio, which is to travel quickly to a place like Northeast America or Northern Europe, which are attractive places. For example, North Amer Northeast America, to remind you, is one of the biggest net exporters of the world. So all of a sudden, when the Northwest Passage is open, a ship off the shore of Japan is better off. It has a stronger bargaining position, and it can thus command a higher price when it meets a Japanese exporter. This will tend to bring prices up in Japan and decrease exporting marginally. So it really affects who's exporting where and how much again. Exactly. Now, although the shock is local, it actually has global effects. So take a ship anywhere in the world. Wherever the ship is, it now has more options because Northeast America, a big exporter, has become a more attractive ballasting choice, a choice where ships can travel empty more quickly. This gives ships stronger bargaining position, they can command higher prices, and this pushes exports down pretty much everywhere in the world. And so I think this illustrates how network effects lead to the propagation of local shocks uh, and they make them global. Yes. And of course, all these things happen, assuming there are no other changes or policy changes. So we're just looking at the impact of the shipping prices on trade. I just wanted to remind listeners. And of course, this applies to closure of passages as well. So we looked at the opening of a passage, and you've also looked at what would happen if there were blockages of these different passages that exist now, right? Yes. Um, inspired by the recent blockage of the Suez Canal by Ever, uh, by Ever Given, which was a, a megaship of about 200,000 dead weight, 
we explore the impact of a permanent closure of three important passages, uh, Suez, Panama, and Gibraltar. Now, these passages essentially reduce nautical distances and thus the duration of specific trips. And we find that all of these passages have a substantial impact on world trade um, and welfare. So, for example, closing the Suez Canal permanently would reduce trade by about 3.5%, and in some regions, substantially more. So in the Middle East, it would reduce trade by almost 25%. That's a very large percentage. So what you've described shows how important are the physical passages that are open to shipping, as well as the structure and functioning of the bulk shipping services market, right? Both affect trade costs and patterns. And you've also shown that transport service providers respond to market conditions and incentives. And we have to take this into account when investments in port infrastructure are done, right? And you also compare bulk shipping market to trucking. So let me now ask you, could an Uber for shipping happen? So this is an open question and a question at which even industry participants disagree on what the answer is. So as we discussed earlier, bulk shipping and trucking and taxis operate very similarly. They're point-to-point transportation, one cargo, one ship. So essentially, they are what we call decentralized markets. You have many small agents, so you have a fragmented industry structure, and there is no central marketplace or exchange when customers and carriers can meet and transact. So this means that there is the potential for what is called surge friction. So think about taxis and passengers and imagine a taxi driver driving in the streets and there is a passenger who is one block away, but the driver doesn't know. And so the two do not get to meet, even though this would have been a valuable transaction. Or think about real estate where your perfect house is for sale, but you actually don't know it because your broker doesn't have this house in their listings. So this can lead to important inefficiencies. Yeah, they could increase inefficiency. That's what I was thinking, or not. Exactly. I was going to ask, but is this the most efficient solution, digitalization of this market? So it's tricky. On one hand, platforms can resolve these inefficiencies, and this is partly why they've been so successful in many different types of industries. On the other hand, uh, platforms can also exercise market power. Now they can choose their prices, and it's not clear that these are going to be socially optimal. Yes. So it's tricky. On one hand, platforms would, would alleviate these frictions, and this is partly why they've been so successful in a range of different industries. So think about the case of taxis with Uber and Lyft. A big advantage of Uber and Lyft is that we are no longer worried about finding an available driver or passenger on the other side. And this has been a great contribution of these platforms. On the other hand, platforms will choose their prices and as such may exercise market power. So this means that this can That's be... a concern, yes. That can be a concern for yes. society. Yes. But I was just wondering, would you have any estimate of how much, you know, trade might be affected if, in fact, this market were to go digital in an Uber-like way? Yeah. We are studying this question right now. For now, what I do know for sure is that such frictions do exist in bulk shipping and they are actually substantial. So if we could entirely wipe them out, 
welfare, social welfare would go up by about 14%. We're still working on figuring out the impact of a platform. And in this trade-off of reduction of frictions, trading frictions versus market power, we still don't know who the winner is. Okay, very good. And I'm glad that you just spoke about these trade-offs because it makes me think that as technology and market structure evolve, so will regulation as in every other sector that we study, other areas of the economy. Wonderful. Myrta, that was a fantastic discussion. Thank you very much. I've certainly learned a lot. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add? Just that this research is available online uh, on my website and whoever's interested in taking a look at this in more detail can, can find all the relevant papers there. Thank you so much, Myrta. It was lovely having you here. It was really great to be here, Rumi, and I really enjoyed this discussion. Bye for now. Bye-bye. So what did we learn today, listeners? Well, quite a bit. Firstly, how the shipping market functions affects the benefits from trade. But it's not enough to assess the impact of hard infrastructure, such as ports, on trade costs. It's equally important to understand how and why shipping costs and efficiency vary. Secondly, a shock in one part of the market, whether it be a demand shock, a climate or a policy one, reverberates into different parts of the market by changing prices in the shipping routes which connect continents. Shipping prices and routes adjust to dampen the immediate impact of shocks emanating from any one part of the world. Thirdly, digitalization and other technological advances can change market structure and prices and how they benefit consumers and producers of shipping services will be partly determined by the quality of regulation. Thank you and bye for now. You can find more information about the podcast on worldbank.org forward slash tell me how. If you've got questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on all popular podcasting platforms. This episode was recorded in September 2021. Don't forget to subscribe and thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.